Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I am the host and producer of this show and I am thrilled that you've joined me here today for a journey that will incorporate aromacology, melancholia, forest walks, Romany bones and spoons, the occasional alien, a pipe and that oh-so-sensible Joan. I am delighted to say that I have again four fantastic guests here to accompany us over the Easter holidays. So thank you for joining us, for sticking with us, and I hope you enjoy the show today. Now, let's get moving. As it's April, I'm going to open the show today with a poem that I wrote just yesterday. April is National Poetry Writing Month, which is a call to writers to write 30 new poems over 30 days. Although, to some of us, that's nothing new, but hey, any reason to have 30 extra poems is reason enough to celebrate and fill those hours of insomnia. The poem I'm going to share with you is called Clawing Our Way Down and Up, and I wrote this the other day while on a walk to the local beach here in Rush in County Dublin in Ireland as part of a writing series I'm taking part in called Write to Walk. It is a series that's given by Sarah Byrne of The Well Review, and you can find them on Twitter at The Well Review. This is week three of a four-week course where you walk, think, listen, consider, connect, be inspired, and of course, write. So, here we go. This poem is called Clawing Our Way Down and Up. Crab shuffles over shell, slides backward into sand like sun behind star, and light falls. Pink grows paler, Sand becomes sponge. I wonder if the sponge of this shell holds an echo of all I no longer hear. A sound wave shuffling behind the light of my ear. A reverberation from outer space, not my space. To settle in the place of the shell of this shore. Like the kiss from your lips I feel pressing into mine still. I shuffle backwards. Lean in to all that is no longer light. And catch only another reverb of a breath I lost on top of a dying volcano. Flames blow out like stars when light grows too bright. Perhaps in claw of crab, now deeper than pale pink, still shuffling backwards, is the grain of sand home to the memory of a sunrise that is still to reveal the breath I was too slow to press into lung. Perhaps, if crab claws enough, 
he'll reach the stars. My first guest on today's show comes from County Cork in Ireland and just launched her first full collection, Eat or We Both Starve, last Tuesday, published by Carcanet Press, and the event was hosted by fellow Irish poet Martina Evans. Her pamphlet, White Whale, won the Munster Literature Centre Fool for Poetry Chapbook Competition and the Saboteur Award for Best Poetry Pamphlet. During her lunch last Tuesday night, I asked if motherhood had changed her outlook on writing and she said, oh yes, that this collection felt very innocent in comparison to what's coming next, having since understood what she and her body were capable of. As the opening poem to this collection is called Learning to Eat My Mother, Where My Mother is a Teacher, I'm now intrigued as to the carnage that might possibly follow. I should point out here that this collection is dedicated to the author's mother and not cannibalism. During the lunch, she also said that she's a very confused person who questions everything and it took her a long time to find her place. But boy, oh boy, how lucky are we that she made the journey and is sharing it with us now. Please welcome to Eat the Storms, Victoria Kenefick. Hello, my name is Victoria Kenefick and I'm going to read three poems for you from my new collection, Eat or We Both Starve, recently published by Carcanet Press. This first poem seems strangely prescient now, given it's about online dating, or rather smell dating, its more peculiar associate. I dedicate it to those dating or trying to date during this rotten pandemic, at a time when strangers, who could be much more, have never seemed further away. Smell Dating they came in ten tiny transparent plastic bags, the torn armpits of strangers' t-shirts still humming with their owners' undeodorized sweat. Trust yourself, the website said. Your nose knows. In the kitchen, I take each sample out, unfurl it like a napkin at a fancy restaurant, hold each swatch to my nose, huff deeply. This one smells of bubblegum, another of the sea, still another of rotting wood. The white tea they sent me hung from my body for three days, grew slack like old skin. I tried to embrace my natural scent but was careful where I went, didn't exercise. Leaving the samples to pine on the table, I go to the bedroom, pull back the covers, press the pillow to my face. Surrender yourself to the poignant experience of body odour, the website said. It smells like me. Thankfully, in level five lockdown, as we are in in Ireland at the moment, there's a tiny stretch of beach within the five kilometres where I live. Beyond that, there are beautiful, countless sandy beaches, but for now, we're limited to this little rocky, wild patch of gravel and stone. And I've never been more grateful for it or for more grateful for the proximity to the sea that we've enjoyed over these past couple of months. And it's given a great sense of freedom and a great sense of relief to, to visit there. How to skin a dogfish. I've seen so many of you all washed up perished from cold and salt, mummified on the beach. 
The world's too big for you, or you're too small. Walking these straight sands, my husband shows me how tricky you are to skin, that it's worth it for your sweet, flaky meat. He mimes how he would slice round your head, cut off your poisonous fins, peel the skin back, standing on your face for leverage. The skin comes off smoothly, he says, and spiny white dogfish is delicious fried. Not a job for a wimp like me. Watching the tide locked in its unbreakable pattern, I shiver at the repetition. Your dogfish bodies on the beach, my scavenger brain coming out in goosebumps, combing the sand. Opportunistic feeders, eating whatever we can sink our teeth into. Some of the poems in Eat or We Both Starve grapple with the loss of my father. And so I dedicate this poem for anyone who has experienced bereavement and especially those who have lost somebody over this past terrible year. I hope you find peace. Arctic Circle. My father's brain filleted on the icy x-ray block, grows luminescent, a strange fish on a slab. I shiver at this part of him I never thought I'd see. His neural pathways presented in a grin we shared on Sundays by the sea, watching birds scatter air when he clapped his hands. The surgeon explains how meningionas develop. They don't so much grow within it, but rather push the brain away. He points with a thick finger, here and here, where the circle is broken. The surgeon says, it is the size of a bird egg. I am too scared to ask which type. My father would prefer a seagull or curlew. Atypical, the surgeon says. Faster growing. Likely to grow back. My father's brilliant network of networks. Now, just the sound of ice splitting. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Damien Donnelly for this lovely opportunity to read to you. My next guest on today's show has a dog named after Sylvia Plath, resides in a Cornish caravan and is a performance artist who occasionally writes songs. Her project Letters to the Lost is an ongoing space for people to submit pieces they've written to their lost loved ones, a space for both grief and a place to write. And you can find out more about this on her website. And there's a link, of course, to that website on today's Eat the Storms blog post. She admits that her poems are of a ramble format, are pure expression and rarely edited and range in subjects from existentialism to neurodiversity and on to identity. She is about to begin by warning you about the melancholy floating through her poetry and yet every time I've listened to her read a smile comes across my face. It is a pleasure to have her on the show and I'm thrilled to welcome the autistic lesbian writer Kira J. Delarue. Hello there, this is Kira J. Delarue 
here for you to read some poems of the most melancholic nature, and for that I apologise. I'll start off with quite a depressing one, because why not start off somewhere dark and perhaps get a bit brighter as we go on. So this is called Discreet Music. We are disgusting creatures with good intentions. Bitterness is half the cup, the other half hollow. A mindless feature of guilt, honest redemption. Sadness constantly on the cusp with nowhere to go. Swallowed inside, swallowed inside, only to come out when it's time to reside. That last hour before sleep takes our eyes, that is the time. Nobody's advice, just discreet music with the last form of you by my side. And if you don't know the song Discreet Music by Brian Eno, I highly recommend some relaxing ambient music. Now my next poem is somewhat an exploration of identity and um, is a good reference point really for all my other poems. A lot of my poems reference uh, characters from this poem which are all a manifestation of myself. This is unnamed. 99% and one quarter of the time I am an alien. Three quarters of the time I am this confused human being. This human being entails a whole pack of beings, hence the confusion. Hamish is the little cynic old man. He grumbles and groans, holding the bitterness stored within him, drinking coffee behind a curtain, a window. He doesn't get out much. Seamus, now he is the depressive, a regular resident, always comes back. Fueled by red wine, he is a melancholic alcoholic, if you know what I mean. Aldous is the structure and essentially supervisor of the pack. All decisions, reactions, processing go through Aldous. And boy, let me tell you, he is highly neurotic, obsessive, sensitive and a recluse. Joan, strong, sensible, calm. We need more of Joan. There was a tale of a past figure who, back in the day of disassociation, there was a lady called Kay, a thespian, a lesbian, confident, had, had ideas of being a writer, writing a play, directing and acting. I do not know where she went. Perhaps the alien holds Kay. The world is too confusing for Kay. Every person is a new language, every situation a new episode to understand without subtitles. I wish I was a dog. Yes, I think that poem sums up quite a lot. Wouldn't it be easier to be a dog? Of course, only if you had a good owner. Yes. Okay, and um, this is another one uh, on dreams. Um, yes, so. Most of my poems are unnamed, I'm afraid. Um, open, open to suggestions for names. Dreams. Haven't had one of those in a long, long while other than the tiny squared ones packaged in a variety of colours for the variety of dreams, the ones we feed to cats so they approve of us. When I sleep, my subconscious lays bare, open as the abyss, dark and never-ending. But vivid landscapes I do not see, concepts, characters, they do not appear. It was never my forte being the dreamer. However, the dreams of detachment from the day, those were my cup of tea. I used to dream of direction, tangible love, of affection, dreams of homes, halls of people and not feeling alone. 
But as everything does, my dreams decayed and became as decrepit as the days that come. Uh, another bright and cheery poem for you. <laughs> and uh, another, another classic sad poem. My apologies. We will end on a good one, I'm, I'm, I, I assure you. Again, unnamed. Just don't be nice to me. My tiny heart cannot take it. I'd rather you were mean, yet I would still crave it. You broke me into tiny little pieces, shattered, leaking a facet of light on the floor, draining. Glued back together in the arms of a lover, one I cannot bear to be without. Shoddy craftsmanship left the glue unhinged, yet my knees are still weak whenever you're about. I sit and I wait, live in the past, nostalgia junkie, desperate for a dose of you, begging it will be my last. Yes, I'm sure we've all been there. <laughs> and for my final poem, it may seem somewhat depressing, but I, I will assure you that it is positive. This poem is about... Um, Noticing and observing changes, positive changes within yourself um, and, and life post-therapy. Um, yes. My knee is not shaking subtly. The first voice is rather quiet, the second even more so. A peculiar silence for the evening. With the arrival of the day came a state of sanguineness, a jive in my stride with an essence of confidence, pride. A peculiar notion for the morning. Aha! A pattern! I see it now. Classic Seamus has sunken in. No stability for our Seamus. The fallen have fell and the abyss rising. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the second voice to fight, to wade through the wonders of a madman. Only silence remains. The second voice never came. Untouched, everything remains. The abyss is only six miles deep, you know. Resilience remained. I see now why I don't see you. You are not needed for now. I miss you, and maybe we will meet again. Maybe not. It will be nice to see you again. It will be nice if I don't. But I thank you, sincerely. That's a poem to all those fantastic therapists out there. Anyway, that's me for now. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed my miserable poems. <laughs> and I hope that your day is a good one. Many thanks. Oh, she really does make me smile. Thank you so much, Kira, for that. As we are currently midway through today's episode, I'm going to take a step back to my debut pamphlet, which was published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press last September and called Eat the Storms. Yes, it is the same name as the podcast. The poem that I'm going to read is called The Irises of Our Eyes, and it is based on the life of Vincent van Gogh. And it looks at that close relationship and connection that creativity and chaos have with each other. Mm -hmm. 
crazed, caught on canvas, caught in colour. Thought tempered in sweeping strokes, we can be carried away in seas of grass, greens awash in the garden. Catch the canvas before its fold finds favour in other fields the mind has yet to fathom. We can be crazy. Quick comes the crow upon the harvest. Bleak beckons. Art is not always to be understood, nor the artist always allowed the freedom to express. We want cream walls and canvases to comfort the couch. Expression doesn't always please the pattern. Craze comes to life on canvas. See how he calls to us, potato-faced pickers peeling in broken browns aged in ochre. Acrylic is not a cover-up and the canvas not a vision of vanity. Even the sunflowers wilt before the irises of our eyes. Fields of amber grain, far from home, far from fame. Trying to catch the elusive light bearing down on the bales of honeyed hay before the black wings hanging in the horizon. Painting eyes, others' eyes for us to learn from, to weep for the loss after the colour no longer connects. Catch creation before it catches fire, before it ricochets in a bed in Anversois. Electricity only illuminated the intensity. Insanity is not sedated by the shock. Colour cannot be captured in a brass bed with brown leather straps. Colour is conveyed on canvas, in connections, in the bend the brush makes to blend, in the waves the stars twist into that night sky, in the lines of letters to brothers who know us to be better than the light sometimes allows. He was captive to the colour, to the canvas. To the voices, dark and distant, cut it off and they still come a-calling. Capture colour before they capture you as crazy. My next guest on today's show had her first two pamphlets published by my own publisher, The Hedgehog Poetry Press, which is where I first discovered her magic. Those first two pamphlets were called They Lit Fires in Apple Water and are based on her family's Romany history, inspired by actual events, personal stories and photographs, as well as found words. She is a poet and playwright who was born in the Welsh Valleys and has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Best of the Net in 2018, 
a forward prize for best single poem in 2019 and her debut pamphlet Apple Water was launched at the infamous Poetry Cafe in Covent Garden in December 2018. Her first full collection, called The Talking Stick, will be published by Salmon Poetry Press in 2022. But for now, please welcome to Eat the Storms, Rain Gagan. Hello, my name is Rain Gagan. I'm a poet, writer and playwright, and I also teach performance skills. I'm really happy to be on Damien's podcast. It's a fabulous podcast. Thank you, Damien. I'd like to start with two short triolets that are in my latest book, They Lit Fires Lenti Hacho Yog. And it was said that when the Romanis were forced off the roads into houses, they were saddened by the fact that they could no longer hear the cuckoo sing. Coring Chiriclo One. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing. I'm a Romany, always travelling from Huntingdon to Kings Lynn. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing since I was a chavy in a sling. Summer, autumn, winter, ah, oh, spring. I've loved to hear the cuckoo sing. I'm a Romany, always travelling. Coring Chiriclo 2. Gelon, me dad would say, pack up your covels, we'll be on our way. Take our time, get to Froome's Hill by May. Gel on, me dad would say, the cuckoo's calling, untie the grey. Up onto the Varda, it's a cushy day. Gel on, me dad would say, pack up your covels, we'll be on our way. Covels is belongings. Coring Chiriclo means cuckoo. Gel on means move on. Gry means horses. And I write a lot about my Romany family and bring, really bringing them back to life. I enjoy this very much. The next poem is called The Gypsy Gift, and it's not in my uh, pamphlet, but it was published with Skylight 47 last year. The Gypsy Gift. Do you know someone who's got the gift? I do, my aunt Zaffarella, she was born with it and she knows everything. When she wakes up, she knows what the weather's going to be like and who's going to be popping in for tea. She'll say, put the kettle on, mum, our Evie's coming over. My gran rolls her eyes and says, who'd have thought of it, my child with the gypsy gift? Once a week, she yearns a few bob reading tea leaves. She calls it dookerin. She makes the tea, sets the china cups on the table, puts bright red lipstick on and waits for her first customer. She don't know it, but I've often sat under the table holding my legs tight and listening. She puts on a posh voice and speaks very slowly and softly and I have a job to keep quiet. She tells the folky all sorts of things, like the type of mush they're going to marry or how many kids they'll have. Once she told a woman that she was going to come into a lot of money and the old dear jumped up and started running round the room shouting, I knew it, I knew it, me luck's going to change. At night when I'm in bed, I hear her making strange sounds as if she's speaking in a foreign language or perhaps stuck down a drain pipe. I hear granny calling out, 
Go to sleep, Zaffarella, for crying out loud. In the morning, I says to her, You don't half make some funny sounds in your sleep, Aunt Zaffarella. She puts the cup of mesky down and says, Oh, that's me speaking in tongues. It comes on me now and again and I have to eat it. Well, me and me gran, we look at her and say, Daudy, Daudy, that's the gypsy gift for you. So it's a really a, a fun sort of um, poem, this, because everyone thinks that gypsies tell fortunes and some of them do and some of them don't. Dukarin is the word for fortune telling. Mush for man, mesky tea, Daudy, Daudy just means dear, oh dear. So another poem that I'm going to read is about the time my granny and grandfather moved into their home, their first home, after leaving their wagon. They had been living in a gypsy vada for many years with horses. And this is called Just One Room. He stood on the back doorstep, took out a brand new key, unlocked the blue door. They both took their chockers off. He walked in first, she followed. Her eyes fell on the ceramic white sink in the corner of the kitchen. In the wagon they had four bowls, one made of gold china for washing their bodies. The, the others were metal, one for pots and pans, one for cutlery and one for washing clothes. The smell of fresh paint hung in the air. Alfie knocked on the wall, stroked it, took a deep breath. Amy walked into the hallway, neither spoke. Once in the sitting room, Amy's mouth opened wide. Dicker, Kai Elf, he came to the door. We could fit our whole Varda in here, she said. This is just one room. Okay, so I'm moving on to two new poems. I've been writing about the gypsy patron saint called Sara Kali or Sara Lakali. And this first poem is called Good Friday at the shrine of Saint Marie de la Mer. The shrine is empty today. No footfall except for one woman who comes daily to clean the statue of Sara Kali. She wipes the limbs of her beloved saint. She sings and the shrine is filled with song. Sara Kali is dreaming, a boat on the shore, white horses galloping towards her, she a young girl wanting to do well. The woman kneels, offering up her prayers, kisses the feet of her faithful mother. Once she leaves, all is quiet and still. Only the dark face in the corner of the room glistens in the final flicker of candlelight. The second piece is called Lucky Ether. She travels to Trafalgar Square once a year, sits on the bench, feeds the pigeons. She relives the old days, the market sellers. She sees it all now, Vegetables, cheeses, nuts, the organ grinder and the barrow boys. There was one they called Curly on account of him having no hair. He would wink and smile at her. She, a young girl, calling out, Lucky Ether, sir. And my last poem is called Bones and Spoons. 
the in the old days and probably still a lot of um, travelers like to do it now they used to play the bones or the spoons my grandfather used to play the spoons on his legs this is called bones and spoons before i played the spoons i played the bones before i played the bones i listened to me father playing the spoons, to me grandar playing the bones. And as I tell you this, me son is listening, the bones they are awaiting, and the spoons, well, they're in the kitchen drawer. Thank you for listening. Take care. Go well. Thank you so much, Rain. And before I introduce our final guest, I'm going to give you just one little poem beforehand. This is a poem I wrote on the 1st of April, and it was again for National Poetry Writing Month. This is my very first Eurasia poem. That means it's a poem that is found within a poem or a piece of prose or even a newspaper cutting that somebody else wrote. You look through it, find the words that inspire, put them together, and it forms its own poem. This was inspired by my idol Joni Mitchell and her song Cactus Tree from her very first album, Songs to a Seagull. This poem is called Song from a Seagull. He takes stones, called her, kissed her in the breaking, climbed a mountain, three thousand miles, missed her flowers and branches. Climbed a tree. A man asked her of goodbye. Writes his papers. Prophet's memory. A lady sometimes calls. Wrought her laughter. Now she fears. Man is bleeding. A dreamer sees. Will lose. Heart is hollow, she is free. My final guest on Eat the Storms today joins us from the state of Washington in the United States of America and is a theologian, a Roman Catholic, a poet, writer and speaker. So far, he has two poetry collections to his name, the first called On the Edges of Elfland, a fairy tale for grown-ups, and Being Deified, Poetry and Fantasy on the Path to God. His new collection, The Green Man, is about to be published by resource imprint of Wimpf and Stock Publishers. He's been published in Black Bow Poetry, Jesus the Imagination, The New Hampshire's Best Emerging Poets 2019, and many other places. He is currently the Humanities Teacher at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame and it is an honour to welcome him to the podcast today. So please sit back and enjoy the company of David Russell Mosley. Hello, my name is David Russell Mosley. I am a poet and theologian living in the inland northwest in the United States. I just want to say thank you to Damien Donnelly for this opportunity to uh, share some of my poetry with you. I'm going to be sharing uh, three poems from my forthcoming collection with 
Withenstock Publishers in their resources imprint. Uh, that collection will be entitled The Green Man. And then I'll be sharing one other poem uh, that I wrote uh, not too long ago. Um, and it fits thematically with these, but it's hopefully going to maybe be in another collection that I write someday. Uh, all of these poems, what they have in common is this uh, attempt, and this is really what a lot of my poetry does, is to look at these kind of everyday things and see what makes them extraordinary, see what the deeper truth, the deeper reality is that lies behind them. Uh, and so without any further ado, here is my first poem, uh, simply titled The Green Man. Effoliating foliage, he haunts his local habitation, the tutelary spirit, ripener of wildest blackberry, protector of the bees' humblest wants. From cloves to honeysuckles, from elm to maple, he cares for the wood as if it were his garden. The iridescent lights of night are starred in his eyes. He gathers food for his greenwood table, and once in ages now so long forgotten, his greening power helped even us to grow. He was our teacher and our dearest friend. But now on the new wine we are besotted, drunk on this technological flow. Still, even in the gales, he will not bend. My next poem is one that was inspired in part by uh, the poet Malcolm Geit uh, and uh, the author and poet Robert McFarlane. Uh, Geit had shared something of uh, McFarlane's, stating about how the Latin word for book, liber, is also uh, the root word for in Latin for the word bark, uh, as in the bark of a tree. Uh, and uh, largely because early books were made out of tree bark. And so uh, that just got me thinking, and, and I wrote this poem called The Wordwood, or The Library Forest. There are words in the wood on every single branch, reaching out their arms to touch the sky. They do not break, and they will never blanch, but they'll keep trying. Oh yes, oh yes, they'll try to reach us, to teach us, to find us, and bring us into the dappled places, the darkened places below the earth. Below the mushrooms grim and down and down to infinite root-filled spaces, where we'll be captured, raptured into tree veins and feed the ones who feed us with their breath. We'll give up ourselves the last of our remains and breathe the treeish words of life and death. We hear the words bound up in forest wood. We can become them. It will do us good. Uh, this next poem is the last one from my forthcoming collection, uh, and it's a little bit different, um, but it still gets at, I think, some of those same ideas, and it's called Smoking a Pipe on a Cool Afternoon. Like Celtic knots, the smoke unfurls and gives the air an illuminated quality. Breathed in, blown out, it dies, and then it lives. It gives the room a kind of sublimity. The cherry heart comes from fire, but air keeps the fire alive. A balance must be struck. Calm, deliberate, like prayer, the fire must be fanned. Give in to trust and let the smoke like incense rise and rings and swirls and curls like kells now come to life. And see how like a thurible it sings of a world with airish spirits, rife with things unseen and so unheard of whole. All this and more pours from the poet's bowl. My last poem 
is is called the Holy Fool, and it's a tradition uh, that's found particularly in uh, Russian Orthodox uh, literature, but uh, can also be found in the works of Shakespeare, and uh, most prominently, I've seen it in the works of uh, Susanna Clark, who wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and her most recent book, Piranesi. His gray and wiry hair falls in tangled knots. His beard is long and hallows his ancient face. He wanders the streets and talks and talks and talks, wandering the streets without a trace of real direction for his stumbling feet. Then I see him stop in the local park by a tree. He stops and makes himself a little seat so he can watch a passing bumblebee. He talks to the bee and looks up at the tree and smiles, throws back his head and laughs and laughs and laughs. I watch him closely, staring all the while. Why are you laughing? I get the courage to ask. I see the fairies flying with the bees. I see the angels dancing in the trees. Thank you. The final poem I'm going to leave you with today, I think, brings us nicely back to one of the first themes of today, and that is hunger, appetite. This poem is called Le Catacombe and talks about that deep, dark hunger and the descent underground in Paris. Le Catacombe. Gold glitters best under cover. Diamonds only friends after pressure and how we shone under all that weight. Je t'aime, tu sais. You said and you did. Light pressure on lips against hips. Intoxication licked before trick. Before the chisel came to the comfort of your clutch and the pressure of all that had started out as lied began to pound. They say gold glitters best under cover and you drowned yourself. Like a teenager discovering her first passion for perfume and the rest left to choke. I remember the first time, slipping underground, d'enfer dissolving as I descended and you undressed. You always wanted to be naked. Peel back the fabric, sever the skin, burn a light into the void of all things dead. Press it tightly to see if it came back to life. Pressure, not perish. You were never good at letting go, moving on. Downstairs you whisper je t'aime again, below the light, grinding it down, with the hope of uncovering a diamond.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. I have been your host, Damien B. Donnelly, and I am delighted and honoured to have welcomed to the show today, Victoria Kenefick, Kira J. Delarue, Rain Gagan and David Russell Mosley. If you enjoyed their readings and want to follow them, find out more about them, or perhaps even purchase their poetry collections, then please go to www.eastthestorms.com, click on the podcast section, and there you will find a blog post listing each episode and within each episode details of each artist. This was episode 10, season 2. If you want to take part in the podcast and share your poetry with our adorable listeners, then please drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com and I will put you on the list. There are currently about two spots left for the rest of season two, but worry not as I think we might possibly just come back for season three, if not for your enjoyment, then for the fact that I feel so lucky to be able to have this platform and connect with poets from all around the world. If you like the show, then please subscribe to one of our platforms, recommend us to friends or just shout and scream about us wherever you can. We are on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Overcast, Pocketcast, Player FM, Public Radio and many, 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 many more platforms, some of which I don't even know about. The new episode drops every Saturday at 5pm and of course, as it's a podcast, we're here to listen whenever you are ready. So right now there are the entire 15 episodes of season one and now 10 episodes of season two waiting for you to pull up a comfy chair, sit back, relax and possibly enjoy with a slice of cake. Okay, that's enough for me today. So thank you so much for joining us. Happy sunshine. Happy Easter, happy chocolate egg eating, happy springtime, happy vaccine, happy days, hopefully we'll soon be here again. And in the meantime, from me to all of you, stay 